John chapter 10 in our Bibles this evening. Let's stand, if we can, for the reading of God's Word. John 10, verse 9, down through verse number 12. The Bible says here, Jesus is speaking, He says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus continues, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. Last week we looked at I, how Jesus is the light of the world. Tonight we'll look at Jesus' declaration, I am the Good Shepherd. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for the Bible. I was just sharing with a friend today how densely packed Your teachings are. And Lord, what You said in a couple of paragraphs, books could be written out of what You said. You are the living Word. And God, Your words are so impactful your words are so powerful, but we need to let them do that in our hearts. Lord, I pray tonight that you would encourage us as much as anything. Help us to rest um, assured that if we're saved, we have a good shepherd that looks after our souls. Lord God, remind us of some vital truths and challenge us where we need to be challenged. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As I study the Bible, one thing I... I really enjoy is putting passages in their proper context. You cannot fully understand the Word of God without proper context. What kind of context are we trying to provide? Well, obviously we want textual context. We want to understand the verses within the rest of the verses around them, but we also need to have historical context and cultural context, and all of uh, these help us have a better understanding of what is going on in the Word of God. So to help us understand John chapter 10, the uh, passage about the Good Shepherd, um, we first need to understand John chapter number 9. John 9, we looked at last week. We saw how that Jesus healed a blind man. Remember the story? He walks up and puts clay on the blind man's eyes and he tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And this blind man stumbles over to the pool and he washes the clay out of his eyes. And all of a sudden, a man born blind now can see. For the first time in his life, he can see this adult man. And uh, his neighbors begin to say, hey, that's the guy that was born blind, but now he can see. He uh, is taken into the synagogue and he's put up before the council and he uh, is asked, how did this happen? Not who did this to you, but how did this happen? And uh, the long and short of the story is that they ended up kicking him out of the synagogue because he declared that Jesus was a prophet, that Jesus was a good man and they weren't going to have that. So they labeled him a sinner and they threw him out and he was banned from the synagogue. He was displaced from the synagogue right on the heels of that. Jesus finds the man and he says to him, do you believe uh, in the Son of God? And he says, well, if you tell me who he is, I'd believe him. And Jesus looks at him and says, the one who you're looking at and the one you're listening to is the Son of God. And the Bible says he worshiped the Lord in the end of John 9. Now, 
John chapter 10 takes place right after that story. And Jesus is going to tell us that He is the Good Shepherd. And the Pharisees and all of the, the, the leaders of the Israelites, they are hirelings at best. Most of them are thieves and they're not good people. They, and He's saying, listen, you were kicked out of the door of the synagogue and not allowed to enter anymore. But I am the door, Jesus says, not to a synagogue, but uh, to the family of God and to the, the sheepfold. And if you'll come in through the door, you can have pasture. Hey, you don't need the synagogue and you don't need phony leaders. You don't need false prophets. You don't need hirelings. What you need is a shepherd to look after your soul. Right on the heels of this happening, Jesus begins to talk about sheep, the shepherd, and the sheepfold. Now, on Wednesday evenings, we are going through the book of Isaiah, verse by verse through Isaiah, and we have worked hard to keep the passages Israeli that are Israeli and not Americanize or Western culturize the Bible. And I have to say that that is a mistake a lot of people make. They look at a passage of Scripture and they say, that right there, it means this. Well, hold on a minute. You're lacking historical context. That was written to the Jews. Let's uh, keep that in context. Now, John 9 begins as a Jewish passage, but as we will see later on, Jesus includes the Gentiles into His flock. We'll get to that in a little bit later on in the message. Jesus is drawing a distinction here between Himself and the leaders of the lost sheep of Israel, the Pharisees. Next week, we're going to take a closer look at uh, how this did not set well. In fact, uh, we're going to be looking at John 10, 1 through, I think it's 18, and then, uh, let's see here, we'll be pick up again in 27 and go down through 30. Uh, the interim there is the Jews taking exception with what Jesus said and how Jesus handles them. We'll look at that next week. This week, we're going to take a close look at what Jesus had to say about sheep, the sheepfold, and himself as the shepherd. There's so many rich truths to draw out of this this evening. Let's look at three heartwarming truths as we consider that Jesus is the great shepherd. Let's jump in tonight. Notice number one, the provisions of the good shepherd. The provisions of the good shepherd. I have to say, one great thing about having a shepherd is that he looks after us and he provides for us. What does He provide? Well, we see here in these verses a provision of everlasting salvation. A provision of everlasting salvation. Look at John chapter 10. Look at verse number 7. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. You know what Jesus speaks here of is exclusivity. Now, I find this interesting. There's many religions in the world. One interesting thing about the religions of the world is that all of the religions that existed prior to Christ and into the time of Christ changed to include Jesus after He was came and, and died, rose again, and left the scene. So watch this. All the religions that existed uh, uh, before time, that were still around when Jesus came on the scene, changed to include Him. 
all of the religions that have been created since Jesus have somehow included him. Jesus never included any of them into his teachings. They all made room for Jesus. Jesus did not make room for any of them. Jesus said this, he said, I am the door. He said, all those false prophets that came before me would have led you astray or led people astray. I am the only way to the Father. He said it this way in John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Look at verse 11. John 10, verse number 11. Jesus says here, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Jesus, our good shepherd, he left heaven's throne in order to become a man uh, to shepherd the lost sheep of Israel and provide them a way of salvation. But he did not only die for their sins, he died for the whole world. Look at verse number 15, John 10 15, the Bible says there, As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. How did Jesus lay down His life for the sheep? By dying on the cross. Why I said this at teen camp when I preached there, I said it again this morning. They did not take His life. He was not forced to the cross. He gave up Himself. In fact, when we get deeper into the book of John, we're going to find that when they come and ask uh, uh, for Jesus, and He says, I am, to those who are asking, all of a sudden, the power of His voice knocks down the men who were there to arrest Him. His name knocked them on the ground. And then they get up and they arrest Him. You know what He was telling them? You're not taking me by force. You're taking me because I'm letting you. At any point, the Bible tells us, he could have called 10,000 angels. They led him up to Calvary. They laid him on that, that wooden cross. And he willingly stretched out his hand and took the nail. And he willingly stretched out his other hand and took the nail. And he willingly allowed the nail between his feet. And he hung there on the cross. And then the, these chief priests had to taunt him by walking up back and forth saying, If thou be the Son of Christ, take thyself down from off the tree. And you know what? He could have done it, but he didn't. Because he willingly laid down his life. Back to verse 11, he says there, And I lay down my life for the sheep. You can't think of John 15 without thinking of Isaiah 53. All we like sheep are gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, on Messiah, we now know as Jesus, the iniquity of us all. No man took Jesus' life from him. No. He willingly laid it down. He did so to pay the price of sin. Look at verse 17. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. Here he is not only um, prophesying his own death, but he's prophesying his resurrection. Look at 18. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. Uh, this commandment have I received of my Father. Jesus' death provides for us 
the opportunity to be saved. And I would say to each one of you this evening that only through the death and resurrection of Christ can we know uh, the eternal uh, salvation, the everlasting salvation that's offered. It is a gift, and that gift is eternal. And when you open up your heart by faith, and you walk in through the door into the sheepfold, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, you become a believer in Christ, and your sins are forgiven because Jesus has died for you. What does the Good Shepherd provide? Well, He provides everlasting salvation. He also provides eternal security, a provision of eternal security. Look at John chapter 10 and look at verse number 28. It says, and I give unto them, what are those next two words? I give unto them, oh, let me hear you. I give unto them eternal life and uh, they shall, what are the next two words? Never perish. Neither shall any man, any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Jesus says this, speaking of compound unity, He says, I and my Father are one. Notice those words, never perish. That seems pretty final to me, doesn't it? Someone says, well, you know what? You believe in Jesus to get saved, but if you don't mind your P's and Q's and you're not a good Christian, then God's going to take that gift away from you. Verse 28, I give unto them what kind of life? Let me ask you a question tonight. Can something that's temporary bring to stop something that's eternal? Nope. You know what I am? I'm temporary. My flesh is. You know, my flesh is the sinful part of me. Can something that's temporary, my carnal sinful flesh, bring to a stop that gift that's eternal? The answer is no. It is eternal life. Those words, never perish, seems pretty final. Never perish. Uh, and it is a, a, a result of not being taken out of the Father's hand. Now, I've had many go-arounds with many people about this idea of eternal security. And there are many people who believe that you can lose your salvation. And uh, i, I got to say that for me, this is very simple. It's eternal life. It's, uh, it, it's a, a promise of God that you'll never perish. Jesus said, Him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise, in no wise cast out. And so this thing is final. Now, um, I've had people say to me, well, what if you wanted to give it back? What if you didn't want to be saved anymore? What if you came to a place where you said, you know what, Lord, here, you could have the gift you gave me back and I'm done being saved and uh, I negate my part. Well, here's the reality. You can negate your part of the adoption, but the Lord is never going to negate His part of the adoption. He adopted you. And you can decide you want out. You know what? He loves you so much, He's not going to let you out. You've been adopted. You've been forgiven. And here's what I think people fail to understand. Listen to this. Ownership over your soul, when you got saved, changed hands from Satan to the Savior. You don't own yourself. You get no say. Just because in a state of rebellion you want God to disown you or give you up doesn't mean that He's willing to do that. In fact, we are told by Jesus that this gift is 
eternal life, and that you shall never perish, and that neither uh, and that neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand, and that any man would also include yourself. You can't pluck yourself out of the hand of God. Someone says, well, I want to give it back. And I would say, then you are in rebellion against God, which is a sin. And you were forgiven of that sin the moment you got saved. And so henceforth, you can't undo your own salvation. What are the provisions? Well, listen, I have to say tonight, I am so glad that not only did my shepherd offer me everlasting salvation, he gives me the sense of eternal security. I just can't imagine living in a world where I go to bed every night wondering if I prayed hard enough asking for forgiveness so that I would make sure that if I died in my sleep, I didn't go to hell. Can you imagine someone who's lived for the Lord for 20 or 30 years and then made a big mistake in their life, like a David-type sin in their life after having had a tender heart for God many years, and then they die in a car accident uh, while they're in sin, and now God's going to throw them into hell? Oh, my friends, that is not the heartbeat of God. Uh, it is His grace that saves us. It is His grace that maintains our salvation. Listen to this. Your works don't earn your salvation. Henceforth, your works do not Preserve or keep your salvation. It is by His might and His power that our eternal security stays secure. So what does our Good Shepherd provide us? Well, He provides us everlasting salvation. We see a provision of eternal salvation, but we also see through the larger body of Scripture a provision of earthly shepherds, of earthly shepherds. Let me take you through some verses here and show you that while the Lord Jesus is our Good Shepherd, He provides for us earthly shepherds. Turn over to Jeremiah 3. Jeremiah 3 and verse 15. I actually have this verse hanging on the wall uh, in my office. Uh, Jeremiah 3 and verse number 15 is a prophecy of the church era, pointing to the church era. Look at Jeremiah 3. And in some senses, the prophets also operated as shepherds or pastors. And by the way, the word shepherd and pastor mean the same thing. In fact, the word for uh, pastor in Spanish is the word shepherd in English. Pastor would be the word in Spanish, and that is what you would call a leader of sheep in the field. Look at verse 15 of Jeremiah 3, and I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with, the, with knowledge and understanding. There is a promise that one day there will be pastors plural, that will come on the scene for the purpose of leading you or feeding you knowledge and understanding. Let's see this, how it came to pass in the book of Acts. Turn to Acts chapter 20 and verse number 16. So uh, here in Acts 20, Paul is finishing up his third missionary journey. He's getting ready to head to Jerusalem to give an offering to the church at Jerusalem. And on his way by the city of Ephesus, where he had spent so much time, he's going to call together the various elders or pastors, the overseers of the church, and he's going to have a pastors-type meeting, if you will, and give them some instructions. Look at Acts 20. Look at verse 16. We see Paul addressing these shepherds or elders. The Bible says, For Paul had determined to sell by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia, for he hasted, if it were possible for him, to be at Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know... 
from the first day that I came to Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. So look here, he has the elders. These are the leaders of the churches abroad of the city of Ephesus. He's called them together to a meeting. They show up at the meeting. He begins to address them. Look down at verse number 28. Verse 28. He says to them, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. What, are, what is their job? To feed the church of God, which He hath purchased with His own blood. God calls and equips with spiritual gifts men who are pastors or shepherds, better put, under shepherds, to look after the flock of God. Now, God gives a pastor... A God-called pastor, he gives him wisdom and insight uh, as to the spiritual strengths and struggles of his flock. A good shepherd should look at his flock and have a pretty good idea of each individual's strengths and weaknesses under his watch care. God ought to give a pastor a deep love and compassion uh, for the flock as he looks after the flock. God gives these pastors wisdom, wisdom to know how to feed the flock. God gives a stern hand and steady heart to rebuke and exhort the flock. God gives a stern hand and a steady heart to rebuke those who would come in and attack the flock. Uh, they are the human a representation of the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. When your pastor, listen up now, when your pastor corrects you or offers advice to you, please weigh that heavily as they uh, uh, should be doing so in the place of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see the provisions of the good shepherd. We see uh, everlasting salvation, eternal security, and earthly shepherds. Let's move on to number two as we see the protection of the good shepherd. The protection of the good shepherd. We see back in John 10 that he protects us against deceivers. Against deceivers. Look with me at John chapter 10 and look at verse number 11, the Bible says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And a good pastor, a good under shepherd, ought to be willing to sacrifice himself for the betterment of the sheep. He ought to be willing to lay down his life for the sheep. And not to be dramatic, but I would hope that if uh, somebody came in here and demanded that one person die uh, because they were being hostile toward the church, I hope that I would be willing to be the one that laid down my life for uh, the church here. And that is what God has called me as the uh, under-shepherd to do. But God, the, but the Lord Jesus Christ, our good shepherd, He said, I give my life for the sheep. Look at verse 12. But He that is an hireling and not the shepherd whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hiring fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. What's this mean? By the way, turn over to Ephesians 4. What's this mean? This means that as someone begins to be taken away uh, by the wolf of the devil, the wolf of fa false doctrine, that the pastor ought to move toward the person and not run from the person. That the pastor is willing to go 
toward hostility and deal with hostility straight on instead of running from it. We think of David who killed a lion and a bear in order to protect his flock. And uh, we think of uh, how Jesus here is instructed that uh, he would be willing to step between any kind of enemy and secure and protect. Look at Ephesians 4 and we see here God's plan to protect us as sheep. Look at verse number 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, uh, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Look at this phrase. By the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Did you get that? There are, there are people who are hirelings. They are deceivers. They stand behind pulpits. They call themselves apostles or preachers. Sometimes even pastors. They lie in wait to deceive. They use sleight of hand. They're cunning. Look at 15. Here's the behavior of a shepherd. But speaking the truth in love. A shepherd does not get up and berate and attack and belittle and bully. A shepherd might have a firm hand, and he might preach a firm sermon from time to time, but the shepherd is known to be one who speaks the truth in love. Look there, it says, "...may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ." I have seen some homes where dad is so mean and nasty and wrathful, or maybe mom has an anger problem and she's mean and nasty and wrathful, and the children grow up and they remain emotionally stunted into their adulthood. They were not allowed to grow up because there was a hostile environment. Do you know I've seen churches where the preachers were mean and nasty and hostile, and the people remained babes in Christ. They were not allowed to grow up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Look at 16. Here's the goal. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by the which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. We ought to be a body that is jointly fit together unto good works. Look back up with me if you would uh, in this passage. There's one more thing I wanted to point out. Look at verse 14 that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Diotrephes in 3 John was a man who sought to lead that church but control the church and push everyone out. Now Peter and his epistles warned against apostates. These are wolves in sheep clothing. 
A John, the apostle, warned of little antichrist in 1 John that would seek to deceive many. I believe that's chapter 3 of 1 John. If you truly are born again, then you should know the voice of the Savior deep down in your heart. You should know when you hear truth. You should know when a man who calls himself pastor or shepherd truly has the gift of being a shepherd and can take care of your soul. I think one of the grave mistakes of our churches in America and probably even around the world is that we have men who hold the position of pastor, but God has not called them to pastor. And they don't have the heart of a pastor. I'm going to share something with the church here I've never really shared before. I don't believe I've shared before. I don't remember having shared this. My mom and dad, when um, they were expecting me, they wanted me to grow up and be a pastor. They prayed that God would give them a baby boy so he'd be a pastor. When I was born, they did not name me after my dad. In fact, they named my little brother after my dad. Instead, they named me after the pastor that was uh, uh, my dad's pastor when he got saved. And then my middle name is the name of my mother's pastor when she got saved. I am named after my mom and dad's pastors. They wanted me to grow up and be a pastor. And from a very early age, God put it in my heart to love and care for other people. I look across this church on Sunday morning and Sunday evening and I look at people that I deeply, deeply love. I care for you. Your spiritual well-being, your physical well-being, your emotional well-being matters a lot to me. I can say that I get on my knees on a regular basis and I pray for each of you by name. I love you. I care for you. I'd go to bat for you in the face of danger. But unfortunately, across this country, there are many churches where the man who calls himself pastor is a narcissistic, power-hungry person who looks to abuse the flock instead of love the flock. They're deceivers. They're only looking to build their own kingdom, and they're not looking to build His kingdom. Let me just say this right now. I did not become the under-shepherd of White Oak Baptist Church to build my name or to build a kingdom here at this church. My heartbeat, and I want this to be your heartbeat, is that we build His kingdom. We build His kingdom. You know what, if there's a gospel preaching church across town and they do well, we're going to rejoice with them because they're on the team. You say, but their version of the Bible or their music or their dress standards are higher than ours or are lower than ours or are different than ours. If they're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we're on the same team and they're not the enemy. We're not here to build the kingdom of White Oak Baptist Church. We're here to build the kingdom of heaven through White Oak Baptist Church. Amen? Let that settle in your heart. Who does the Good Shepherd protect us from? Well, He protects us against the deceiver, letter B. We see He, detect, he protects us against 
the destroyer. Against the destroyer. Look at John chapter 10 and verse number 1. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Verse 3, we'll see in a little bit, talks about the porter. This is the person responsible for letting only the right people have access to the sheep. Hirelings, yes, they're allowed in. Shepherds are allowed in. Thieves and robbers climb the fence and look to devour and destroy the flock. Look at verse 8 of John chapter 10. The people ask for an explanation of the first five verses and much of the rest of the chapter is Jesus giving that explanation. Look at verse 10. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Look at 10. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Go back with me to Acts chapter 20. Are there deceivers and destroyers at work looking to attack the flock of God today? Yes. Yes. Are they at work in our church family? Yes, they are. Oh, I'm about to reveal the greatest enemy against the church body at White Oak Baptist Church. I'm going to name the very enemy that attacks this flock. Uh, if there's one enemy that Pastor Lejeune has had to punch at and swing at and kick and defeat and fight harder than any other enemy against the, uh, uh, this flock, I'm going to share with you who that is or what that is in just a moment. Look at Acts chapter 20 and let's get a greater context of what Paul told these pastors from Ephesus. Look at 27. He says, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Look at 29. For I know this that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you not sparing the flock. Also, look here, of your own selves, of the men in this room, of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone day and uh, night and day with tears. He said, listen, there are wolves that are going to look to try to come in and devour the flock of God and scare the flock of God and destroy the flock of God. He said, stand up and stand strong, men, and defend the uh, flocks of which you oversee. So who is this enemy that Pastor Lejeune has to fight in order to protect the flock of God here at White Oak Baptist Church. And the answer comes down to something very simple, and it is YouTube preachers. YouTube preachers. YouTube preachers have given me more heartache than any other preacher out there. And for the record, we stream on YouTube. I'm not talking about me, okay? church. The Bible says that the local church is the pillar and ground of truth. It does not say that YouTube is the pillar and ground of truth. You go hunting and pecking on YouTube, you can find anybody to say anything you want, to affirm anything you want to believe. Now, 
I don't want to be arrogant, and I don't want to make myself out to be some kind of Baptist priest or pope, because I am not that. I don't get it right every time. There are times I preach things, I'm sure, ten years from now, I'll look back at what I said and say, oh, I can't believe I said that. There are times people have brought things to me and said, you were technically wrong here, and I've had to own that. But I will say this, I am not a novice when it comes to the Word of God. From the time I was a little boy, I've had my nose in the Bible. I've read it through cover to cover more times than I can I, I even know. I've read the Bible through many times. I have spent time studying it. I have spent time parsing it. And this pastor knows his Bible well enough to stand up here and preach and rightly divide the Word of Truth. Paul told Timothy, don't even be a pastor unless you know how to study the Word of God and rightly divide the Word of Truth. And I get up here and preach, and instead of you sitting there and looking at it and say, well, does that back up the Scripture? Does the Spirit of God confirm? No, instead, I'm not going to be satisfied with the food that my shepherd at my local church gives me. I'm going to run to YouTube, and I'm going to let the preachers of YouTube tell me what I'm supposed to believe. We have lost people out of this church over the years, and no, they're not going to church somewhere. No, instead, they fill their ears with some preacher on YouTube who tells them what to believe. That is not God's plan. It is not God's plan for the Internet to be your pastor. It is God's plan for a local church. And you say, well, Pastor Lejeune, I just don't agree with the way you preach the Word. I don't like your style. I don't like the way you lay out truth. Then that's fine. That's totally fine. You are at liberty to go find another local church and be fed by a different shepherd. That's your right. But don't run to the Internet and let some YouTube preacher tell you what to believe. Find a local shepherd and be fed. And you say, well, there aren't any in this area that believe what I believe. Then move. And find an area of the country where there is a church and go to church and be fed. Because the local church, in-person local church, is God's plan. You say, Pastor Lejeune, you're, you're fired up about this. I am fired up about this because God's called me to protect the flock. And with the sheep gathered right here, I'm here to tell you that you two preachers, mostly, not all of them, large majority of them are the enemy. Stay away. When I'm doing sermon prep and I want to flesh out a point and get material, I just, I, listen, I'm kind of pulling back the curtain of my study for just a moment. I really want you to hear this. Sometimes I will pull up a web uh, browser and I will search for information on a topic so that I can deepen my knowledge on something. As someone who knows the Word of God pretty well, what I find is that a, a, a large majority of what I read is doctrinally inaccurate and false. And if you don't know your Bible well, you'll get swept up into that and swept into a wind of doctrine that will take you in a heretical direction. You be careful. You say, well, Pastor Lejeune, I, I just, I'm hungry for the Word of God, and, and I want to know more. There are preachers online that I will 
readily endorse. You can go listen to them all you want. Come talk to me and I will give you a list of preachers who will feed you from a different angle than I will and will help you to grow uh, good men. But uh, talking to men like Brother Owens and some of the other men in our church uh, here who've been here for many, many decades, uh, they said to me, I just decided that I was just going to get fed by the shepherd of my local church and I wasn't going to worry about it from anywhere else. And these men are well established in the Lord and are faithful to Him. I recommend maybe you follow uh, their path. Number one, we see the provision of the Good Shepherd. Number two, the protection of the Good Shepherd. Number three, we see the promises of the Good Shepherd. And I really enjoy this part of the passage. Let's look at some of the promises we see here in these verses. Notice letter A, he gives us the promise of sweet ownership. He gives us the promise of sweet ownership. Look at John 10 and look at verse number 2. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and by the sheep hear his voice, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth, look here, he calleth his own sheep by name. Look at verse 4. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. You and I that are saved belong to the Lord. He owns us. And that ownership is so sweet. Look at verse 16. John 10 verse 16. And again, tonight we're scratching the surface of John 10. I wish we could stay here for months. We'll be moving on to another part of the chapter next week. I encourage you to dive deep on your own. Look at 16. And other sheep I have, I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Now look at this. Jesus told the Syrophoenician woman, I am only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. But then yet he says here, I have sheep of another fold. And he says here uh, that one day the two folds are going to become one fold, and uh, there will be one shepherd for one fold. Jesus said, yes, I am here for the lost sheep of Israel, but I am also the shepherd of the Gentiles, and these two flocks are going to be blended together into be one flock. And many have asked about the bride of Christ. Is, are the, is Israel the bride of Christ, or is the church the bride of Christ? And I believe that the two blend into one flock and into one bride. Look at verse 27. 27. Oh, look at the sweet ownership here. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Children of God, let us not forget that we belong to Him. He laid down His life to purchase us. We are to follow Him. We are to obey Him. You know, sheep are dumb. Unintelligent, is that maybe a a kinder word? Less abrasive word? Sheep are unintelligent in nature. They lack discernment and they lack direction. But we have a good shepherd who knows each of us by name and he loves us deeply. What does he promise? Well, he gives us a promise of sweet ownership. Letter B, he gives us a promise of steadfast leadership. Of steadfast leadership. Look at John chapter 10. And look at verse number 3. 
To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. When he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice, and the stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. We have a shepherd who leads us even when we go astray. You remember the, the parable in Luke chapter 15 where the shepherd leaves the ninety and nine in, the, in, in there and he, and he goes out into the wilderness and he finds that one sheep who's gone astray and he picks up that sheep and puts it on his shoulders and brings it back to the fold. How many of you at some point in your life have been that sheep that's wandered astray and the Lord's had to come back and get you? You know what I'm talking about? Aren't you glad we have a shepherd who leads us even when we're stubborn even when we want to go go and do our own thing, He never gives up on us. He never gives up on us. Those of you that have been here a long time, there are a handful of people who have gone to church with us here, some of them for decades, others for many years. And they're not currently at our church. The reality is, is they're not going to church anywhere. You say, Pastor Lejeune, do you still love them? Oh, I deeply love them. Pastor Lejeune, do you still pray for them? Oh, I pray for them all the time. Do you still reach out to them? On almost, in almost every instance, yes, I still have some relationship with them. And I'm still praying that God will bring them back into our flock. You know, He never stops leading us. Now, the question isn't really, is the Lord leading? The question is, are you following? I like the song leader or songwriter who wrote this. My Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All I have to do is follow. My Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All I have to do is follow. Strength for today is mine all the way. And all that I need for tomorrow. My Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All I have to do is follow. He leads us day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment. Are you following Him? Letter C, we see the promise of spiritual abundance. Look with me at John 10 and look at verse 9. It says there, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Look at the rest of the verse here. Read it with me, church. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. What does the Lord give us? He gives us abundant, abundant life. He gives us spiritual abundance. Now listen, that abundant life, sure, it pertains to an ultimate fulfillment in heaven but I believe it also pertains to an immediate fulfillment here on earth in our day-to-day living. The shepherd wants to give you a life of abundance, a life of great enjoyment, a life of great blessing. But he can only do that if you're willing to follow him and obey him. These are the promises of the good shepherd. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed.
Lord God, thank You for being our leader. The perfect leader. The one who is willing to lay down your life of your own volition and then take it back up again in resurrection. Lord, You're the door to the sheepfold. You're the good shepherd. You're the lamb that was the sacrifice on the cross. You're the priest that sprinkles the blood on the mercy seat. You're the redeemer of our soul. And because of those things, Lord God, You deserve our worship and our obedience. You deserve our total allegiance. Through You we have access to heaven, not so that we can selfishly get our request answered, but Lord, so that we can worship at Your throne. Oh, how You are high and lifted up. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that You are Lord, the the glory of God the Father. Oh, what a day that will be. But Lord, we don't have to wait until the end of the millennial reign to bow the knee, or we can do that right now. And we can praise You. And we can decide to follow You and the plan that You have for us. Oh, Lord God, help us during this time of invitation. Lord God, to commit to being sheep that are subservient to the shepherd. Lord God, bless us now in Jesus' name.